Well, good morning. This has been a, a wonderful uh, morning. I don't know if you have one of these where you, you wake up and um, you are more tired than you've ever been. Uh, this, this morning, this weekend, I had a wedding to be a best man in as well as help with in a bunch of ways and uh, unexpected late evenings because when you're part of a wedding, things never go as they're planned. And so uh, it's been a long time since I've felt the exhaustion of a post-high school mission trip. Uh, but here we are. And, uh, and then this morning, for, yeah, this is always one of those wonderful things. When you come to church and you sit down, um, there's the hours that go into it beforehand with, with tech people in the back and, and all that preparation. And this is one of those mornings where, you know, if there's 15 things that could go wrong, 17 did. Uh, and so, so far, the service is wonderful, but our, our team is celebrating um, as, we, as we walk off stage that things worked that we were wondering if they would work or not. So just to give you a little behind-the-scenes glimpse. If I fall down, um, we'll have a random elder by draw. We'll cast lots to see who will preach in my place. Um, is that a hand raise, Ralph? No, that's, that's my cane. Oh. <laughs> Vince, what was one of the low points of your ministry career? I was offered a cane in the middle of a sermon. <laughs> anyway. <laughs> This morning, we are going to begin a new sermon series. For the, for the whole of this summer, until we get to Labor Day, we're going to be spending time in the book of Acts. Uh, why would we spend time in the book of Acts? Aside from the fact that it is scripture, and all scripture is God-breathed and useful for, for teaching, the book of Acts is, is a unique book in that it provides us insight that we would not have anywhere else in scripture. If you removed one of the Gospels, it would not be the complete scripture of the Lord Jesus of God because he ordained that the Gospels would be in there. But you could take out any Gospel, any one Gospel, and we would still have a picture of the work, life, death, resurrection of Jesus Christ. If you remove the book of Acts, we lose an unbelievable amount of information about the early church. All the history that we get of what it looked like when Jesus rose and then rose back into heaven to be with the Father and sense the Spirit. And the early church kicks off and things start all the way to where we are today. We will be missing that first part of our church history. We will be sitting here wondering, how did we get here? We know Jesus came and we know the gospel, but what happened afterwards? Can you imagine for a second being a part of that early church? Can you imagine standing there having watched the risen Christ ascend, and then you're just there with those people who have been following him, wondering, what's next? Maybe at some point in your life, some of you have been part of a church plant, and you have that first meeting, and you sit down, and you just, you know, maybe it's six of you in someone's house, (laughs) praising God together, and you're wondering, where's this going to go? What are we going to be like 10 years from now, 50 years from now, 100 years from now? So over the summer, I want to take a look along with Paul, and we'll be co-teaching this series throughout the summer, on what the early church looked like. How did it start? What did they do? How did they get from A to B? Why? I'm convinced that we can learn an unbelievable amount from examining the way that the early church operated what they prioritized, what they didn't, what they were relentless about pursuing, what they didn't care about at all. But not only do we get history from the book of Acts, we get theology as well. About a third of the book, 
is sermons and speeches. It's just people, if you want to know, what did it look like for a guy to get up in the early church and preach a sermon? We can actually read the manuscripts and know this is what sermons were like. We have all this treasure trove of information just by examining the book of Acts. So this morning, we are going to start at the very beginning. The church is brand new. There's no, this is how we've always done it. There's no, 10 years ago, our Sunday school program looked like this. There's none of that. It's brand new, and it's beginning. It's in its infancy. And so we'll look at that, and then I'm going to give away the ending, at least of the book of Acts, not of the end of the church, because we're not there yet. But we'll look at the beginning, we'll look at the end, and then we'll set it up for this summer to look at the journey of how we get from one place to the other. And my hope is that we will learn something along the way about ourselves and the church that we find ourselves a part of, not just Stowe Prez, but the big church universal. So let's pray. Father, this morning as we look at Acts 1, our prayer is that you would speak to us. Lord, we ask that you would remind us that we are side by side with those saints that went before us. With those that saw the early church rise through your spirit and your power. We stand with them. We are a continuation of them. And so as you have taught them And as the book of Acts enlightens their journey and their story and their history of you at work in the midst of their lives, Father, we pray that as we look at it, that it would shape and reform and transform the way that we do church. Be with us, convict us, shape us, soften our hearts to deal with some of the things that might be hard, and be with us. We love you and praise you. And all as people said... Amen. Let's look at the beginning. In the first book, O Theophilus, I have dealt with all that Jesus began to do and teach until the day when he was taken up after he had given commands through the Holy Spirit to the apostles whom he had chosen. He presented himself alive to them after his suffering by many proofs, appearing to them during the 40 days and speaking about the kingdom of God. And while staying with them, he ordered them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father, which he said, You have heard from me, for John baptized with water. You will be baptized with the Holy Spirit, not many days from now. So Luke starts with a summary of his first book. In case you didn't know, the author of the book of Acts is Luke. Um, He also is the one who wrote the Gospel of Luke. And those are really meant to be one kind of story in two parts. And we know that because both of them are written to Theophilus. Luke was commissioned to to research and study and understand and get eyewitness accounts and testimonies. And so the book of Luke is written as a research of sorts with with epic accuracy of what the early life looked like, what Jesus' ministry looked like. And when we get to Acts, it is now part two. He's saying, listen, Theophilus, this is now, you know, earlier I dealt with Jesus' life and ministry on this earth, and now we're going to get into what happens Next. And what we see that happens next is that Jesus spent time with his disciples, with the apostles on this earth after he rose. He continues to teach them and speak with them and live with them in various ways for for days, for weeks, and eventually says, I'm going to ascend. And he promises them the Holy Spirit. But in this one, there's an added little tidbit. We go from the Holy Spirit will come after I go to the Holy Spirit will be sent within days. 
And so they ask a natural question. And when we read this question, I think we think of it as maybe a little bit of a conceited question. I think, for, at least for me, when I read this question at first, I get frustrated with the disciples. But here's what they ask. So when they had come together, they asked him, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom of Israel? We talked about this, right? The whole time Jesus is on earth in his earthly ministry, he's doing things. And part of the problem with Jesus was that he wasn't fitting the expectation of what the Messiah was supposed to be in the minds of people. They thought he would be this political leader that would come and clean house and deal with the Roman oppression and let Israel as a kingdom rise back up. He would come in as this conqueror. That's why we have Palm Sunday. He's welcomed in as the conquering king. But he's crucified instead. Jesus' plan does include the restoration of the kingdom, and it doesn't look the way that we think it does. It's not necessarily about an earthly kingdom. And so when they ask the question, you know, I'm going to send the Holy Spirit. He's going to come in a few days. So they ask, you know, are you at that time? Is that when you're going to restore the kingdom of Israel? The gut says, why are you still not getting it? Are you seriously still dealing with this earthly kingdom? But Jesus, and this is important as we move on to the next set of verses, Jesus doesn't rebuke their question. It is a valid question to ask. Because all through Scripture, all through Scripture, from the Old Testament and Ezekiel through the Gospels, we see that the, the Lord does promise when the Spirit comes and when I pour my Spirit out on you, I will restore the kingdom of Israel. That is a part of the promise. And so logically, they think, well, if he's coming in a couple days, is that when you're going to do what you promised? And Jesus responds this way. He doesn't say anything about them being wrong except for one thing. He answers. He said to them, It is not for you to know times or seasons that the Father has fixed by his own authority. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. I'm going to read that one again because Acts 1.8 is the key verse of the entire book of Acts. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all of Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. And when he had said these things, as they were looking on, he was lifted up, and the cloud took him out of their sight. And while they were gazing into heaven as he went, behold, two men stood by them in white robes and said, Men of Galilee, why do you stand looking into heaven? This Jesus who is taken up from you into heaven will come in the same way as you saw him go into heaven. Jesus only has one correction to their question. It's a valid question. Um, you have the timing wrong. No one is going to know the time or the hour. If you've ever read a book that tries to do the math to tell you the time of the hour of when God is going to restore all things, you're wrong. I'm always shocked by the people that write these books. There's people that have written this book like four times in their life. You know, they, they're like, the Lord will come back in 2001 because I've done the math and then 2001 came and went and the Lord didn't come back and restore his kingdom. And then they go back and go, well, I forgot to carry a zero. It's actually 2008. And like those, book are, those books are bestsellers. These people get to vote. <sighs> right? But 
he, he just is, he has issues with the time. He says, listen, no one knows the time or hour. For me, it can be frustrating to hear this in Scripture. Isn't it frustrating that none of us know the time or hour? Wouldn't it be great if the Lord came down right now and said, I will come back in seven years, six months, and four days. Get ready. Would it be great? John Piper has a blog post that I read years ago, and it's stuck with me. He talks about this idea of the, of the time and, and, and the place and no one knowing when. And he likens it to knowing whether or not or when you're going to die. If you could know when you're going to die, would you want to? Who here would want to know the exact moment that they were going to die? Not one hand. Maybe one hand. It'd be terrifying, wouldn't it? There's a part of you that says, yeah, that'd be freeing, but no, it wouldn't. I've known people who have gotten, who've sat in the doctor's office and been told how long they have. We don't know what to do with it. And I think the Lord, not giving us the time or hour of his return, falls into that same vein. I think we are not equipped to, to handle that information and handle it well. And so the Lord tells us, do not worry about the time. Your job is to be faithful. And by the way, here's how it's going to work. The Spirit is going to come. When the Spirit comes, you are going to receive power of the likes of which you have not had before. There's a power that will come that you don't yet have. They were together. They were worshiping. There were, there were even some people being added to their numbers. right? But there is a power that was lacking until the Holy Spirit comes. One, the Spirit will show up and pour himself out. Two, you will receive a power that you've never had before. Three, once you have this power, you will be my witnesses. Not, I would please like you to go be my witnesses then. That part's not instructional. He doesn't say, step one, you should get the spirit. Step two, you should get the power. Step three, you should go. No, he says, you will be. He just tells him that that's how it's going to go. You will be my witnesses in Judea, or in Jerusalem and in Judea and Samaria and all the way to the ends of the earth. All the way to the ends of the earth. Ah, pardon me. Here's an outline of the book of Acts. This is how the chapters of this text fall into place. The first seven chapters deal with the ministry of the church in Jerusalem. Then 8 through 12 deal with the ministry of the church in Judea and Samaria. And then the back end of the book deals with the ministry to what we consider the ends of the earth in this culture at this time. You know, we have chapters 13 through 20 dealing with Asia and Greece, and then the last set of chapters dealing with the church in Rome. And what we see is that what happens in Acts 1-8, what is proclaimed, takes place throughout the book of Acts. By the time we get to the end of Acts, now is the gospel at the end of Acts carried into the whole ends of... No. It's not carried to the ends of the earth. It's not carried to the ends of the earth today. There are places in this world that do not yet have the gospel, that haven't yet heard. This is an ongoing mission. The call of Acts 1-8 is still active today. We haven't finished yet. But, in a sense, as we get through the book of Acts, we see that there is a conclusion to, a, a sort of conclusion to this call, to this witness call. Because they go exactly to those places. They start in Jerusalem. 
And then they go to Judea and Samaria. And by the way, if you remember Samaria, Samaria was the place that the Jews hated. Right? Jews and Samaritans despised one another. So the idea of him telling them, you're going to go here, and then you're going to go to Samaria and be my witnesses there. Mm. I don't know if we want to do that. But they do. And then the ends of the earth. And part of why we think of Rome in some ways in those times as the end of the earth is not because geographically, once they got from Jerusalem to Rome, there was a ledge and a flat earth and nothing else, but because Rome was the cultural hub of the globe at that time. If you got to Rome, if you could get an idea through Rome, that's the ball game. The Roman Empire just goes everywhere. That's why Paul, throughout the book, is so intent on getting to Rome as he goes through his missionary journeys. He wants to get to Rome. He wants to preach the gospel in Rome. And as we'll find out at the very end, he eventually gets his way, but not how you think. He gets to do it from prison. <laughs> I think he thought he was going to show up in the churches <laughs> to be among the people and proclaim. No, he's imprisoned in Rome, but he does get there. The Lord will have his church. He will. The message of the book of Acts is that what God ordains to happen will come to pass. And when Jesus responds to the question in verse 6, what he's saying is, number one, don't worry about the timing. And number two, yeah, I'm going to usher in the kingdom of Israel again. But guess what? You're going to be the mechanism through which I begin to do it. I'm going to use my people to be my witnesses. From Stowe Presbyterian Church to Stowe, to Northeast Ohio, to the state of Ohio, to the United States, to the ends of the earth. And by the way, if you're wondering what is the point of Stowe Presbyterian or any other church, that's it. Not to have a fun activity for families. We do those, but there's a reason we do those. It's to carry the gospel to all the ends of the earth. So why, why talk about this? Why look, why look at the book of Acts as an instructional book? I'm convinced that in many ways, the way that we do church today is influenced far more by the culture than it is by scripture. And that's not to say that all the things we do are bad things. But I think that our influence and our starting point might be uh, perhaps a wrong place. There's a, a pastor and a theologian named Dennis Johnson who writes extensively on the book of Acts. And he, he describes the book of Acts this way. He says, of course God gave us the book of Acts to do more than satisfy our historical, our curiosity. Like all scripture, its purpose is to inform and deepen our faith in Christ. And Acts does this in a very special way by letting us view how Jesus kept his promise to be with his church and build his church through the personal presence and power of the Holy Spirit. We watch as the risen Lord uses apostles and prophets to lay the foundation of the church in its new covenant form, and we discover the contours and priorities that must shape the church in our time as well. Those two words are the key, the contours and the priorities. We are not to look at the book of Acts and imitate word for word everything that they've done, but the contours of how church is supposed to work, the priorities that we as a church are supposed to have, 
are set forth in the way that the Lord calls the early church into being. And what he tells us about how it's supposed to work is how it's supposed to work. We do not worship God based on our preference. I blow a fuse in my brain every time I have a conversation about the worship wars. Well, I didn't like that kind of music. It's not about you. You come here into this room on Sunday mornings because the Lord commands that as a follower of him, you are to ascribe to him worship. When you step into this room, it is not about you. It is not about your preference. It is not about your desires. It is about the fact that you come here and sit here because the Lord calls you to, because he has saved you, he has called you to be his, and he tells you, you are to worship me. And by the way, he tells us how we are to worship him. Not how you want, but how he wants. This room's about him, not about us. The gospel in the early church spread like a brush fire. See, we read these accounts where you know, daily, like hundreds and sometimes thousands were coming to be saved. And I'm not trying to say that if we don't have a thousand people saved every day that we're not you know, the church. But do you feel like that at all today in some ways? Do we feel like a place where the gospel is just poured into the community and thousands I and mean, people are just coming to know him I don't, I don't know that I always feel that way. And that's not a, a, a here. That's church as a whole. Right? This isn't a, a dig at Stowe Presbyterian Church. I don't know that I, I feel that way. And I think there's some reasons for that. And I think exploring this summer what the book of Acts looks like and how the church grows and looking at the principles of what is important and what is not, I think it'll inform us in how we as a church ought to go forward. I'm convinced in many ways we've been doing church wrong. And I'm convinced that we have let the culture dictate the way and strategy and practice of the church rather than allowing the scriptures to inform what we are to be about. I'm convinced that this is literally insane. What's the definition of insanity? Doing the same thing over and over again and expecting a different result, right? I think we've been doing the same thing over and over again and <laughs> expecting a different result. When we have a work of scripture that tells us, no, listen, you don't have to come up with the church strategy or vision. I've given it to you. I've told you exactly what you're supposed to do. If you would just be obedient and faithful, then you will be my witnesses in Stowe, in Northeast Ohio, and to the ends of the earth. The summer is all about the journey. What happens between 1 and 28 in the book of Acts? And how does it inform our church? I want you to be in prayer for our church throughout the summer. As we look through this book, there will be some hard things that come up, some hard truths, some things that might change the way that things are here. That can be scary. The church is changing. I think in many ways for the good. I'm not a pessimist about the future of the church at all because the Lord has it. I actually think some of the things that are changing the culture are providing an opportunity for the church to rise and be what it was meant to be. And I think you know, Stowe, among many, could be at the forefront of that if we're willing to allow ourselves to submit to God's call for how we are to operate. Let's pray.
Father, we thank you for who you are. We thank you that not only do you send your son to die on the cross to take the punishment for our sins, so that we can live with you in harmony, but that you then come and teach us and shape us on how we are to live in that harmony. You inform our coming and our going. You shape us, you mold us, you love us, and you lead us. So Lord, we pray that you would guide us this day. We ask that you would be with us as we go out of this place, that you would empower us through your spirit in a mighty way so that we might learn to be your witnesses in Judea and in Samaria and to the ends of the earth. Be with us, keep us safe, give us peace, but more than anything, show us the places where we are to be witnesses of your kingdom this day and this week. We love you and we praise you. And all his people said, Amen.